Welcome back to Tell Me About It, where we commiserate and reflect on all the imperfect moments of our very imperfect lives. The romantic rejections, shame spirals, insecure moments scrolling on Instagram, mental health crises, and every blooper along the way. So I actually have a life update this week, which I feel like is pretty rare around here, at least since the show has started. I am engaged officially. As of last Friday, so like I guess that's the 29th of October. I'm so excited. It's like so much more fun than I ever thought it would be. Highly recommend getting engaged, but it's also crazy. It's just weird to think like that I'm a grown up and can make this decision. It's kind of bizarre, but it's so exciting. And the wedding planning hasn't started yet. So I am not hating life yet. Like I feel like when wedding planning starts, it's gonna really be an experience. You know, I feel like it's gonna be so hard, especially as like a recovering people pleaser. Like. That's a tough, very triggering time, I feel like. But anyway, back to the fun of it. So he proposed in Miami, we met in Miami, and I'll tell you the full story in another episode, but I was fully shocked. Like, I knew it was coming sometime soon, but I didn't really know when necessarily. And then when we were going to Miami, I thought we were going for his 30th birthday. So I was pretty duped, but I did have a thought. And then I was like, Jade, don't indulge this thought because if you start thinking that there's a proposal around every corner, like every day is gonna suck. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna let myself get too excited about it or think about it too much. And it worked because I was completely surprised and like cried the whole time and it was amazing. But I've been thinking, I really don't like, on this show, like when I reference, I mean, I'll call him Dylan because you guys know who Dylan is, but I don't like saying the word fiance at all. The word fiance like really makes me cringe. Like it's a really, really terrible word. If you're like, oh, my fiance is on his way. Like maybe some people like it. I'm sorry if you like it, but I just, it's not for me. So like, I think I'm gonna stick with boyfriend. I hope Dylan won't be offended, but it's like so weird. I mean, like I'll go switch to husband, you know what I mean? That's fine, but like not yet. Like fiance is just, makes you sound all weird and fancy. But we officially got our first ice bucket. We were starting to get home goods, which is a really crazy experience. I have no storage space in my entire house. So it's gonna be really interesting to see what we do with all of this stuff that we, I didn't know I needed, quite frankly. But yeah, you get a lot of ring dishes and, and ice buckets, I'm learning. And you know what? I'm grateful. I'm excited to break out that ice bucket in my next whatever. Anyway, so while you all are here, let's talk about Angela Yee. Media personality and entrepreneur Angela Yee stopped by this week and it was a great time. Angela Yee currently co-hosts Power 105.1's nationally syndicated and award-winning radio show, The Breakfast Club, as well as her popular podcast, Angela Yee's Lip Service. She owns the Juices for Life Bar in Brooklyn and has a line of organic pressed juices called Drink Fresh Juice and recently co-founded Coffee Uplifts People. C-U-P, cup. Ah, I see what you did there. A majority black owned coffee company with a brick and mortar location also in Brooklyn. In 2018, the New York City mayor officially designated August 28th as Angela Yee Day, now an annual community event spotlighting local black owned businesses. Additionally, she launched the Angela Yee's Book Club Literacy Initiative with Well Read, which showcases authors with unique stories to tell. Her two-decade career has solidified her as this generation's go-to media personality. With her finger on the pulse of hip-hop, culture, and business, Angela is a multi-hyphenate in every sense. 
Angela told me about her experience switching schools as a kid and how the racism of her classmates ultimately made her decide to leave. She told me a story about how her boss asked her to have sex with him and when she declined was fired a few days later. We talked about shame, friendships, insecurity, and how she ultimately got revenge on that former boss of hers. Here is Angela Yee. Hi, Angela. Hey, Jade. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for doing this show. I'm so excited to talk to you. Listen, I'm excited to. I like your microphone. Thank you. We were Angela and I were almost matching. That is the behind the scenes moment. We were truly almost matching. She has, we have matching headphones. I've never seen anyone with the same headphones. And you know what? When I got these, it was a toss up. Do I want the red or do I want the yellow? And in, yes. my, in my head, I was like, will the yellow get dirty? But I said the quality of these is so good. They still look brand new and I wear them all the time. Yeah, they do look brand new. I know I've, I have yeah. managed to get mine dirty, if you can believe it. But I am a messy person. <laughs> I saw on Twitter that you are watching you on Netflix. I finished season three over the weekend. I just finished. It was the best season. Season three, I think, was the best. I, I would put season three first, season one um, second, and then season two. I think I liked season one and season two better, but I liked the third a lot, too. And you know what, though? It's interesting. I kind of knew that at least somebody would make it, you know, because there is a season four already coming. So when they announced that, you already know, like, okay, Joe has to still be around for season four, I would think. Right. And like, I had to think that, I mean, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but I was kind of getting sick of them as a dynamic duo. So let me ask you this. Who do you think was worse, Love or Joe? As, oh. as a person, if you had to pick somebody, like just say the two of them are left and you have to pick somebody to trust, right, to, trust. to help you out of, a, out of a situation, who would you pick? Well, only because we have the insight into Joe's like inner monologue. There are more signs of self-reflection. He can identify his maternal issues. I feel like acknowledging is the first step. So he like knows that everything he's doing and the women he's attracted to are all a result of his mom. So I kind of feel like whereas love is kind of unhinged and like has not addressed any of her issues as far as we know. You know what I mean? Right. OK, so you like crazy guys. But I'm more inclined to trust a woman just <laughs> in general. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe that's bad. But like so I say that about Joe. But like who would I want to be a in a room alone with? Love. Okay. What about you? I would say that Joe also, I would trust yeah. him more. Yeah. Only because as long as you don't do anything, like love is like super jealous. Totally. She's like the thoughts that we have when something happens, she actually does it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like the un like the unvaccinated kid or whatever that gave her kid the right. like she's a little just like impulsive. <laughs> You know, like she's like, to, to say the least. But her intuition is on point. I'll say that. Women. That's women. At least they got that right. I am more inclined to trust women, but I do appreciate Joe's minor self-awareness in this season. But I'll say this. Women are sneakier, too, because, I mean, look at the stuff that she was doing on this season, right? Yeah, no, I'm like, I promise we won't talk about you this whole time. But I saw that you watched and I was like, I watched this weekend, too. But yeah, I can't believe they were able to get away with it. And they did so well. Now I'm excited they for the did. fourth. So let's get to you. Speaking of you, <laughs> I want to talk about your childhood. So I know that you grew up kind of between Brooklyn and Jersey. Mm -hmm. 
you have your own holiday in Brooklyn. I do have an Angela Yee day. You know, I think people get their own day, but I really do something with mine. And so, and, and there's people who do and people who get a day and it's just like nice that they have a day. I've never met anyone who has a day. Oh my gosh. Because every year they give somebody a day. So you got to think every year somebody's okay. getting a day. Yeah. And so um, I'm excited about it. I definitely, and I, and I also, I mean, it's been three years now that I've done something every single year. You know, one was the pandemic, obviously. Right. And then well, actually two of them because the pandemic August is on August 28th. Okay. So last year, last year I just did a virtual event, but I did go and visit all of these black owned businesses in Brooklyn. And we had like the truck with the um, streaming concert that we did with VP records. And then this year I did something. It just wasn't huge. I just made it like kind of more low key. Oh, I love that. So yours is on August 28th. Do you spend it in Brooklyn typically? Yeah. I'm in Brooklyn now. I still live here, so. Oh, you yeah. do. Okay. Oh my, my, my dad's from Brooklyn. My dad is from Red Hook. Oh, okay. That's where my brother lives over there now. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's so different. I was going to say, it's very different from when your dad <laughs> yes. grew up there. <laughs> now it's like trendy and expensive. Super expensive. Yes. So tell me about your childhood. Can you kind of paint me a picture of who Angela was and the similarities or differences between who you are now and who you were then? Well, I was born in Brooklyn, grew mm -hmm. up in Brooklyn and Flatbush. We had a Two-family house, which I still, I own a two-family house now, but I'm in Bed-Stuy. Okay. And my grandparents lived downstairs for me, and my parents um, lived upstairs. And it was me and my brother, so I have an older brother. And he's only a year and three months older, so we really did grow up together, fighting That's a so lot. Sweet. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> and so... My brother, I was always really brave as a kid. I was the person that would go to the amusement park and go on any and every ride. Mm -hmm. And so I actually used to really like being scared. I'm still that way now. I love horror movies and I love going on rides that like go up really high and make your stomach drop. Yeah. You know. <laughs> most people aren't like us in that way. Like most people are like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, why do you like rides? Yeah. And listen, and scary movies, like anytime something scary is that I seriously, I think on Netflix and Amazon have seen like every horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your season. Yes. I would be in the mm. library reading every book that I could possibly read. And I still am like that. Like books are huge for me. I actually still like to have real books that I can yeah. flip through. I don't see how people could read on their phone. I was on the plane the other day and somebody was reading the whole book on her phone. I can't look at my phone. No, me neither. And I also don't need one more thing to do on my phone. You right. know, <laughs> Ugh, like I'm, I'm on it too much already. <laughs> so I was um, really good at using my imagination. I wrote a lot too. So ever since I actually started kindergarten when I was four, because I already could, I could write and everything already. And I think part of that, that comes from having an older brother because everything he did, I wanted to do. So when he went to school, I wanted to go to school so bad totally. until I went. The, fir the first day I came back from kindergarten, I was like, I don't want to go back anymore. <laughs> You're like, this is not what's up. I, I was wrong. I, that's so funny. Yeah, my teacher was mean, but my parents were still married when I was the whole time I was growing up. So I grew up with both of them in the house. My father's Chinese. Mm -hmm. My mom is black. She's West Indian. And so I grew up with both of them, but I'll say they didn't like get along that great. And so it wasn't like a, you know, 
we love you type of family. So it wasn't like that, but we did grow up fortunate. I mean, it's, there's benefits to having both your parents in the house for sure. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I read that you went to two different schools, right? And there was kind of, I read that in one school, you were one of many black kids. And then you switched mm-hmm. schools to the point where you were one of only a handful of black kids in a white school. What was that transition like? I went to public school until um, seventh grade. And so in public school, and it was in my neighborhood, so everybody lived around in Flatbush. And I was in a gifted program, though. So it was um, it was at the school called PS235, which I love. I loved all my, my classmates there. It's like everybody, all we were like a family. There were only two white kids in, in I don't know about in the whole school, but that I met like my whole time there. They were twins. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And their mom was actually a teacher there. So that's why they went there. And so so really, other than my teachers, I didn't know any white people until I went to seventh grade. And so I was in this program in New York called Prep for Prep, mm-hmm. which is an amazing program. But what they do is they take kids from the inner city or, you know, mm. underprivileged youth that are really, you have to test to get in. You have to take an IQ test. You have to take this wow. uh, other test. You have to do three interviews. It's like this genuine process, but it's right. a free program. And they actually uh, take you out of public school and put you in private schools. Okay. And so that's how I ended up going to private school, but you have to go to um, through the whole program and it's two summers. Wow. And during the school year, it's on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And so it's a it's a pretty intense program, but it makes you feel more comfortable education wise. Like when you get into private school, at least, you know, you, we've already support. learned everything. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like from an emotional standpoint, from being like everyone else and looking like everyone else, you know, theoretically to then not and being with all of these white people? Like, what was that like for a small child? And it wasn't just white people. These were rich white people. So mm. that's mm-hmm. also different because we were not rich growing up at all. And so that was really different just because it was like a culture shock. I remember my first, you know, like month at school. I didn't, I, at least we knew there were other people that were in the program. And so they were all the black kids kind of knew each other because almost all of them. <laughs> Yes. We're in prep for prep. And if not, you were an alumni for the older kids. And so they would look out for the younger ones, you know, when we showed up. And my brother went there already. Oh, okay. So he was he was already there from, you know, the year before me. So that kind of helped, too. And so it's interesting because even like we had to take a yellow school bus there. It was in Bay Ridge, which mm-hmm. if you know Brooklyn, that's really far from Flatbush. Mm-hmm. So it was in Bay Ridge and we had to get on a yellow school bus to go there, which is embarrassing already in the neighborhood when they see you getting on a cheese bus. And it was funny because where my neighborhood was, like all the black kids were on my bus because that's, you know, the route that the bus took was the neighborhood we lived in taking us to school. So the bus ride was always fun. And then we get there and I say a couple of good things about going to private school. I play sports and mm-hmm. that's not anything that I really I don't think I would have done that uh, personally in public school. So I played basketball, I ran track, I played field hockey. So that was really nice because we had a beautiful campus. And so there was a soccer field, a football field, a field house, squash courts, tennis courts. So I learned how to play a lot of different things that I don't think I would have done because, you know, you don't have those facilities in public school. Totally. And the the classes were a lot smaller. I was used to having like 30, 35 kids in a class. Now I went to private school and there's like 10 to 15 kids in the class. So it's a lot of individual attention, 
uh, in that way. But I'll say that it also makes you insecure because you don't like none of those kids have ever been into my neighborhood and my parents didn't have money. So I would go to their houses, but nobody was really coming to my house. And that's because it was a little embarrassing. You don't want to have people come to where you live because you feel like less than, you know, like we didn't have a nice car. We didn't have money. We didn't have a, you know, a really nice house. And then you go to other people's houses and it's like, my father is the president of this corporation. Totally. People have like pools in their basements. And it was just, you know, you're looking at that like, damn, they had credit cards. And so right. it just was a different type of feeling for me. And it, that's just an, an adjustment. And it, it it was also pretty racist. You know, right. there were a lot of things that were said. And look, I'm mixed. And so mm-hmm. I think they looked at me. They've even they even said it. They looked at me differently. They'll be like, well, Angela, you're not like, you know, a regular black person. Oh. And I didn't like how that felt because I've always been my whole life. I was black and it's never been something that I really had to think about. And so during those times, it just made me feel really awkward. You know, I had a bond with them and I did have friends who were white, but one of my friends, she was Italian and she was dating this guy and he was like so racist and I could never understand what she saw in him. He was racist. Like I would never, ever put my lips on a black girl. You know, I would never, he was like, I had sex with the Chinese girl, but I would never kiss her. And he would say things like that. Oh, God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Like they would send out racist Valentine's Day cards because they were anonymous in homeroom. And so we would get these racist cards, you know, and then something else I learned too, because we grew up using the N word just Mm. as a term, but not in a bad way. But when you're black, you know, you just use it. And so I remember I got in trouble one time. They actually tried to give me detention because there was like this little rhyme we used to do growing up and that word is in it. And I purposely don't use that word anymore just right. because I don't feel like it. In my personal opinion, I think it sounds harsh. I don't think anybody should use it. It's offensive. And so that's why I don't use it anymore as I've grown. But I remember writing that down and um, doing like the little hand game. I was giving it to somebody so they would know it. Like one of my friends that was in the Mm -hmm. program with me Mm -hmm. and a teacher found it and I got in trouble for using the N word. And I was like, I'm allowed to use the word. You're not allowed to use it, but I can. Because they were trying to tell me it was racist. I was like, I can't be racist. Right. (laughs) So it was just a culture shock. And I actually left in 10th grade I just begged my parents I was like I can't do it anymore I can't go here anymore so they let me go back to public school and we actually moved to New Jersey in 10th grade so it was I was either going to go to public school in Brooklyn but then we moved to Jersey and so they let me go to public school in Jersey for two years and then they sent me back to private school wow so did your brother have a similar experience at that school like did he warn you like listen, like this place is extremely racist and like you'll encounter these things. Like, were you prepared at all? He had a better time than I did. Mm. And I think it's also like guys maybe have a different experience. And so I think that because like the white girls would still date black guys, Mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't necessarily like that the other way around. And he plays sports. And that's a real bonding thing. He played lacrosse. No, totally. The fact that men and boys have sports to use as an icebreaker when they're entering new schools or new situations is such an unbelievable advantage. Not to say that women don't bond over sports, but it's just an incredible advantage. So he was okay with it. Like he actually really liked it. He didn't leave. I left and he stayed. Wow. 
Yeah, he really, in, I think he enjoyed his experience. I mean, it's a beautiful school, a beautiful campus. Yeah. And I definitely have some friends that I've had for life. But I even remember when I graduated because I went back my senior year. That's a whole nother story. But um, I remember I got into, I went to Wesleyan. I got into Wesleyan and there was a white kid that went there and he was like, she only got in because she's black because he wanted to go there and he didn't get in. And he, he was like, she and his parents are the ones that said it to him. And that's why he was repeating it, that I only got in because I was black. I was like, maybe because I did better than you on the SATs. Yeah, I I don't know. Yes. (laughs) Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're a kid, you know, it's so easy to just pretend like it doesn't bother you or that it doesn't affect you. Did you find that those wounds carried into your adulthood at all? And that shame? I don't really feel like it did, but I can't identify it. There are certain things that I learned. I think that for me, it was good, at least knowing myself before I went to private school. Yeah. Because there are kids that grew up going to school where they're the only Black kid and they've grown up their whole life like that. And I know kids like that. And a lot of times, like, they don't really have any street smarts. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and it's just a different feeling. Like they can't identify, oh, we're all the same. I don't see color. Like they'll say mm. things like that. And you're like, like, okay, what world are you in? But it a lot of it is environment and how people are raised, you know? Then there's people that grew up the opposite, that went to school with all white kids and then ended up going to school and having, you know, black kids in school with them. And then they feel left out. I had a friend who felt like that because she grew up going to private school and then she wanted to go to public school so bad and she finally went and she was like the white black girl. <laughs> right, right. So I've heard some of your other interviews and I know I read somewhere that there was something having to do with your dad's side of the family not really accepting you and your brother, right? Listen, we do do a lot of, um, every year, Chinese New Year is a big deal for my family. Oh, cool. I've gone to weddings and funerals where it's very traditional, but I will say that I don't feel so connected. I've never been anywhere in China. Mm. Like I've been to where my mom's family is from. I really know, you know, I know that side. I lived with my grandparents and they were my mom's parents. And so I feel like we were more accepted there. And the Chinese culture, you know, my grandparents never accepted me and my brother. I think my grandmother got a little better about it once my grandfather passed on my Chinese side. Mm -hmm. But it was just something that was... uh, we felt like outsiders, you know, Mm -hmm. my mom, my brother and I, and then my youngest uncle ended up marrying a black woman too. And so that was way, way, way later. But I thought, I think it's nice to see that because I have uncles who married white women and that was fine. Right. You know, it's, it's just because we were black and I do feel like in other countries and other cultures, People look at Black people because of how media portrays us in a certain type of way. Mm-hmm. And then I also think it's where I grew up. You know, I, I like I said, I grew up always just being Black. And so, um, and it used to be a little embarrassing because everybody makes fun of Asian people, honestly. Mm. They have like all kinds of jokes about being Asian, being Chinese, the language, you know, the words that they'll use that are slurs, but people don't realize it's a slur, so they use it anyway. Right. And so so those are things that um, I'm used to. I grew up having to hear it and deal with it, but I do feel like there's a lot of reasons I don't identify with that side. And I feel like I grew up Black. Like I always was just 
that's who I was. Yeah. But, you know, I'll say this, like now people will try to tell me I'm not black. Like black people will try to be like, well, you're not black anyway. And I'm like, okay. But even as an adult, people say that. People do it more now than before. Wow. And is it mostly black people to you or is it like? Yeah, it's mostly because it'll be like if people don't like you, they'll try to say that. And it's like, no, that had never been anything that came up when I was younger. It's something I feel like happens now. Interesting. I wonder why that is more so now, because you'd think, you know, hopefully it'd be better in that way, like as you became an adult. But that's interesting that now that's more prevalent in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird situation. I don't know why people do that now. So I know that you were an incredible student who loved to read and write. And I think that's so incredible that you would write like fictional stories growing up and everything. But I also know that you skipped a lot of school, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's why my parents took me out of public school and sent me back to private school. And, and, and you know what? I will say that I skipped school a lot when I was younger, but not on purpose when I was in elementary school because I I was a latchkey kid. And so I would take the bus to school and sometimes I just wouldn't get on it, like the public bus. And so my friend and I would just be like, let's walk part of the way. And then we'll start walking. And the next thing you know, it's like 11 o'clock and we're still not at school. Right. And then we're like, well, it makes no sense to go now. And so right. that used to happen. And what kinds of things would you do? Just walk around, go to the park, nothing. Yeah, nothing, nothing at all. Go get some gum from the corner store for a nickel and just hang out. (laughs) But those are probably the days that you remember most, like you and your buddy just like walking around, like that's fun. And you were still able to keep straight A's, which is miraculous. Well, this was before, this is when I was younger, but then when I got older in high school, I would purposely cut school. And when when I moved to Jersey from Brooklyn, I was like the bad kid. Because I knew how to take the train. I was doing Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. And so you were savvy. Yeah, I was pretty savvy. I remember, and she's still one of my best friends to this day, my friend Jamil. (laughs) Her mom went out of town. And so she was able to stay at my house. She was like, you can stay with Angela. Everybody used to always want to stay at my house because I had the most freedom. My parents worked in New York. They were never really home. And so I always had sleepovers. It was always, my house was like the hangout spot. And so she stayed at my house and my parents would always leave for work before I left for school. So they didn't know what I was doing during the day. And so when she stayed with me, we cut school. We had like a hooky party at her mom's house. And the only reason she got a little caught was because somebody made a long distance call from her mom's. Yeah, from her mom's phone. (laughs) Wow, that is a throwback. That's crazy because she saw it on her bill, right? That someone was like, you weren't even home. Why would this be on there? And she was like, oh, and she had to like make something up. But she knew. So tell me about your 20s, the beginning of your 20s. You went to Wesleyan. What was that experience like? And did you know what you wanted to do? Or were you kind of lost in your early 20s? Well, I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer and a photographer. So that was the plan. So I took a lot of English courses, a lot of writing classes. I took photography. I took screenwriting, playwriting. I took everything. And so that was the goal. Clearly, that has not happened yet. But (laughs) Wesley was really fun. The good thing about it was I made like my best friend 
I met her on the first day when we oh. were both, yeah, going, moving into the dorm. She lived right across the hall from me. It was like destiny. Yeah. And so she had a car and I remember this, right? She had a car when we were in college. And so we would be out. We would go to other schools to go to parties. We were going to um, back to New York to go to the tunnel, to the club mm-hmm. and driving back the same night because we wasn't even in Connecticut. So it was only like two hours, a two hour drive from New York. And so we were always going somewhere. Howard's homecoming every single year. Oh, fun. So when you were like 23, what do you remember being insecure about or shameful of? I mean, I was really skinny. I was like 100 pounds. Mm. So I remember that was something. Uh, and I mean, I had a lot of insecurities. I used to wear a lot of like really big baggy clothes mm-hmm. because also working in the industry, I never felt comfortable with people looking at me. Totally. So I always want to be make sure that I was like, you know, covered up. So nobody would really look at me because I always was very tomboyish. Mm. And so there was that, but I was a good time person. Like I was out at the clubs all the time, having a good time, you know, leaving my shoes in the cab and forgetting them, like (laughs) things like that. You know, that was me um, when I was in in my twenties, but I think definitely because I was a skinny and then I also didn't have a lot of money. So it's not like I had the nicest clothes. Right. Right. And so there was that. So I really dressed kind of like whatever I could manage to wear, but it, it never, I didn't have designer clothes. Like I was wearing like guest clogs and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, which are probably like in style now, you know? Right. <laughs> so I know you started as an assistant in the music industry, right? I started as an assistant working for Wu-Tang. So that was okay. really my first ever job. Mm-hmm. And that was in your 20s? Yeah, that was in my 20s. As soon as I graduated from college, I started working there when I was 21. You know, and the other thing was that I always had a boyfriend. And so I remember just going through a period of time when I just was like, I can't do it anymore. And so that was another thing, too. Like, I I always was very into working all the time. And so I think I, I definitely chose the wrong kind of guys. And they always had a lot of freedom because I was always off doing other stuff. Right. And so... I'm, I remember like my first couple of boyfriends used to cheat on me all the time. Uh, it was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I mean, everyone has a broken picker in your early 20s. You just like choose right. all the wrong people. But I know like you must have been working with a lot of men. And I think it's so interesting that you say like, you know, you wanted to be kind of like just covered up and just like more baggier clothes and stuff. And I have heard you mention in other interviews that there actually was a moment where a boss of yours asked you to have sex with him, right? Yeah, that's the only time that ever happened to me. Yeah, so I was working at a record label at Virgin Records, mm-hmm. and it was a label for D'Angelo. They had gotten him like his own label deal. And so the guy who was D'Angelo's manager also ran the label, which is such a conflict, I know. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> I'll say. And so we were in there and he had another partner and he was just so corny. But anyway, he, I only t- I left Wu-Tang to go take that job, thinking mm-hmm. that it was going to be like a classier thing. It's R&B. Yes. And so uh, and and like his boy gassed me up like, you know, Angela, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. You have to um, grow into whatever, go to this label. So I was like, all right. So I went over there and it just wasn't much to do. He was the only yeah. artist they had. He wasn't really trying to do his album for real. They were booking studio time 
at Electric Lady. He was he wasn't showing up for his studio time. Right. They were renting equipment. They were hiring musicians, and he just was not showing up. Mm-hmm. And so it took years for that album to even come out. He wouldn't even let them come to the studio and hear anything. Wow. And so. Yeah, it was not an easy time. You know, he had his own issues that he was dealing with. And so I was just basically in the office, like, what are we doing? And yeah, but I was trying to make stuff happen because that's just how I am. Because you're you. Yes. You know, when you have a job and nothing is going on, time just drags by. Mm -hmm. And he was the only artist they had at first. And so my boss, like at that time, he used to think that he was like a real ladies man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he also used to brag about everything. And I wouldn't know he was lying. Like he would be like, it's my idea to start Fat Farm and Russell Simmons Great. stole it from me. Like he would be like, I got Jay-Z his first ever check, you know? And and I remember asking Jay-Z too, like, oh, you know, my boss, that's such. such. He was like, who? And no, I was isn't like, that the best? I love yeah. doing that to people. He didn't know who I was talking about. I was like, okay, never mind. And so, and so one day he called me in his office and I'm like, okay, finally something's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, you know, can you come in and talk to me for a minute? And I was like, all right. So I get a pen, you know, I have a pad of paper. I'm like ready to take some notes. Like, okay, what are we about to do? Yeah. And I, and I went in there and he was like, I think you should sleep with me. He just said it like that. And mind you, I had never given him any indication that I was remotely like they would go out and get drunk and go to dinner. And I would never go with them. Like they'll be like, Oh, what are you doing? I'd be like, Oh no, I got stuff to do. Cause I just never was that comfortable like that around them. And then he also had hired a woman as his assistant and was like, you know, it was, that was something else going on there. And so I just wasn't comfortable in that space, but I still was just trying to mind my business and do my job. Keep it professional. And so I was really shocked that he was like, you know, I'll take you to nice dinners. Nobody has to know. I'll make sure you get compensated. And oh. I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And so I I remember I said to him, I would never do that, even if you were the last person on earth. And I walked out. Stop it. Yeah, I <laughs> said that to him. I love you. That's disgusting. incredible. Yes. And so the next day, the next couple of days, he did not come to work after that and I walked out and I called my best friend from college and she had an artist that had just done a demo deal there so she was like you know and I just can't I only did this because you were here and I don't want you to leave Uh and maybe you should find something else before you quit and so I was like all right I'm just gonna think about it and just like figure this out it never was a thought to me to like go to the authorities or try to do anything or go to I didn't even think about that. I didn't even know anywhere else that something had happened where somebody was successful or that that was even an option. It was either you stay mm-hmm. and act like nothing happened or mm-hmm. you quit. Yep. And so I was like, all right, you're right. Maybe I need to find another job. How am I going to pay my bills? And so, and then he had his partner fire me. And so. <gasps> oh, did you kind of know it was coming or did, were you shocked? I didn't really know it was coming because it wasn't like there was a big staff and I didn't think that he would want to say anything. Right. Like, did you say to the partner, like, uh, do you know what your partner did? Well, we definitely didn't have a good relationship. He was very misogynistic. He shouldn't even have been in that job because he used to talk about D'Angelo like a dog. And I used to feel like I you have to understand, I came from the management side of things where I worked with the actual artists when I worked at Wu-Tang. So I always was like artist first. And that's right. how I felt. And so me coming here, like they would be like, 
oh, just put it on D'Angelo's budget. Oh, we don't care. Just use his money. And, uh-huh. you know, he's stupid anyway. Like, that's really how they would talk about him. And so I already did not like that. And so, you know, I just remember he did that. And I deleted all my contacts out of the computer, took all my stuff. And, yep, they tried to threaten me, too, about it. And I was like, it's my contacts. Like, why yeah. would you Hell need yeah. my contacts? And then I did get, like, my little revenge after that. So. Tell me your revenge. I need to hear about the revenge. So <laughs> back then, people used to have like a car account and you just call the car company and just give them like a number like, oh, right. account 573. And so I gave that I gave that number out to like several people and they were taking car <laughs> services to the Poconos <laughs> and to the supermarket and to hey. wherever and just they ran it up. Yeah, they were already putting things on D'Angelo's tab. You know what I mean? Like th- they deserved right. it. That might have went on D'Angelo's tab too now yeah. in retrospect. But yeah. <laughs> I love that. He tried to, um, the partner tried to call me and tell me that I was going to get arrested and go to jail. But they they stupidly hired somebody that I recommended who was a friend of mine after they fired me. And she was like, girl, they're trying to have me go to the police station every day. And the police are like, we don't care about this. You have to hire a private yes. investigator. That's going to yes. cost you even more. So I knew everything that was happening behind the scenes because she was telling me everything. Oh, my and so, God. Genius. Yeah. So that was that. That has to go in your book one day. Because it's so true. Like, it was such a different time then. Like, you kind of just either pretended like it didn't happen or you had to find another job, you know, but getting fired, you know, were you in your 20s at the time? Yeah, I was like 24. Oh, yeah. So like getting fired at that age, you probably just feel like it's over. My world's over. Or like, what did you feel like when you got fired? And how did you start over? You know what? I hated that job so much anyway. Yeah. I honestly woke up the next morning feeling relieved because I didn't want to go in there and then I also had been looking for another job already oh and the same day that I got fired I got hired somewhere else divine intervention like literally the same day like I walked out of there and I spoke to the guy that had been interviewing me and he was like look we're not ready to start yet it's going to be a couple of months but we definitely want you on our team and I was like well that'll be perfect so I also had a couple of months to just kind of like chill before my next job started but at least I knew I had it right so you didn't have to like go through that whole like oh fuck what am I going to do now how am I going to make ends meet you didn't worry that your reputation was soured by this idiot no, because they didn't really have a lot of connections like that. The only artist, the only leverage they had was D'Angelo. And he didn't yeah. even really mess with them like that. And so I didn't. And I also knew a lot of people already. I was coming from working with Wu-Tang. And when I tell you, like, they had different, their artists were all signed to different labels. So I knew mm-hmm. everybody at, like, Def Jam. They were at um, uh, Loud Records. They were at Epic. You know, they were at, they had a deal with Priority. They had all these different labels that they were already dealing with. They had um, MCA Records, Electra, And so I knew, I probably knew more people than he did. Yeah. Thank God you took your contacts with you. That was smart at 24 years old to think about that. Yeah, I deleted everything. Because they always would have me call people and do stuff. Of course. And I think I was, when I was young, I was a lot more brave too about things. Like I was the type of person, the next job I had, Next guy that hired me, I walked out of that job and never came back one day because he yelled at me. My boss yelled at me. (laughs) So tell me after that. So then then did you have to find another job after that? 
Yeah. So I started working at a, mar- that's when I started working at the marketing company. Okay. And so, and it was such a small um, company, but he acted like it was big, which I have no problem with that. Right. Yeah. But it was, and again, everything was a learning experience. I was actually writing up all the marketing proposals to get us clients. So I got really good at doing that. And then I was doing all the activations too, because it was really just him and then his wife, his wife had a full-time job, but she would like, you know, help him out here and there. And it was me and the receptionist. And then he had one guy that did street team stuff and that was it. But wow. it seemed like a way bigger operation the way he presented it, you know? And so I would be doing all of those things. And that was good for me because I learned a lot about marketing. I had never done marketing before. So I was just, a lot of stuff I've done, I just got thrust into it and just had to figure it out. And so that was another experience where I just had to figure it out. Yeah. When did you start at, you worked for M&M's clothing company, Shady, right? With Paul Rosenberg? Shady Limited. That was maybe like two jobs after that. And that was all, you know, Paul Rosenberg and I always have had a really good relationship. He's the greatest, isn't he? Yes. And let me tell you, if Paul likes you, he likes you for life. If he don't yes. fuck with you. <laughs> it's so true. He don't F with you for life. He okay? can be the scariest person or the nicest person. Truly. <laughs> uh, He's either Paul Rosenberg or Paul Bunyan, okay? Yeah. Which one is he? <laughs> so he was the one that initially gave you the idea, right, to start hosting? So this is what happened. First, I worked for his clothing line, and then okay. I got laid off from there, but mm-hmm. the clothing line, it wasn't going to happen anymore. He actually had first hired me as a consultant, and then the distribution label hired me full-time after a few oh, months. okay. Yeah. So they wanted me to work there full time. Then, you know, things weren't really working out with them. And so I got laid off because I was always team shady and not, you know, not on the apparel side. And so after that, I had a little break. And then I saw that they were launching the radio station, Shade 45. And so I told Paul, I said, look, I wanted to actually get a job working in marketing. And he suggested that I audition for the morning show. Wow. Wow. So then did that feel natural to you or was that just a whole new world that you were like, what is that? It was awful at first. And (laughs) it was was so bad because I was working with Cypher. He was so experienced at doing radio. Mm. I had never, ever done it. And people were already looking at me. And when you're a woman, they're already like, okay, you know, they they already give you the side eye. And I remember my first day, Cypher was like, I don't know who, why they put, and he knew me, but he didn't know me that well. But he felt like I was put there to kind of keep an eye on him. And so he looked at me like, I don't know what she's doing in here. She seems like a spy. Right. I remember he had um, this info come in also, and he was like, let's see who people like better. He was just trying to do everything. It was like a hazing period. She already had a lot of experience too, because she was doing radio already and Mm -hmm. interviews. And this is my first time from moving from behind the scenes to being on the radio. And so it was just really, really bad. And the first week I started working there was also when Old Dirty Bastard passed away. And so... And I remember I had gotten the the only interview with anybody from Wu-Tang. And so when I got that, the talent department, somebody came running in and they were like, do you think we could get him to us? I said, nope, we're not having him do anything else. He's just comfortable talking to me Mm -hmm. because that's like family. And that was that. And so that was the first week I started working there. And then it was like a period of me just having to learn. The callers would call in and they would be like, who's that girl? She sucks. And... (gasps) 
you know, but it's true. <sighs> right. But it's like when you're first starting out, anyone on the radio is going to suck. It's like a crazy thing to be thrust into. And I had no direction. Nobody was like, you know, trying to no, be like this. People were like hazing you. No one was trying to help you out. It was really hard for me at first, but thankfully I had the opportunity to get better because they didn't get rid of me right away, but they also didn't hire me right away. Right. And so it really took a, a period of time for them to be like, okay, it was really just this Jay-Z interview that we did that got me hired because it was wow. such a great interview. It was so good. Clinton Sparks put it on a mixtape. That's how wow. good that interview was. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that was like one of your first interviews. Yeah. Like we had did a few before that. I think we might have done like Ludacris, Chingy. <laughs> oh, my God. You're throwing it back. Yeah, that was the one that got me hired. And, you know, and Jay-Z will always be like, you know, you're the reason, I'm the reason that you have a job. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in a second. So when you, I know you were saying like a minute ago, there was another woman on air with you that they, you know, kind of tried to like pit you against each other. I'm curious because I've noticed that you have a lot of friends from childhood and college. Did you ever have any gnarly friendship breakups? Yeah, of course. I'm proud to say, though, that I haven't had a lot. Like most yeah. of my friends and people that I've been with, I've been around forever. But I've definitely had people who I had to realize that you can't think that everyone's your friend. Like I had somebody who was constantly talking about me behind my back to other people. And then they would come back and tell me. And this is somebody that I've only ever been like nice to, done good things mm -hmm. for her. And it was really just baffling to me. And I even told her about it and she just wouldn't stop. And right. so I was, I just couldn't understand it. And then I had to realize that if you can't trust somebody and you can't trust it, I'll, I'll tell you something and it's between us or that you're not going to like tell my business, then totally. I don't really need to be friends with you. And there's certainly, I've always been good at making the, di uh, the differentiation between people who are my acquaintances, who I like superficially, which there's nothing wrong with, right? Who I can hang out with you, grab a drink, but we don't have to be like in depth about our lives uh, and go on vacation together, but we can still be cool. And there's, totally. that's, I have a lot of people like that. And then there's people who you're like, all right, I have a couple of days off from work, girl, where are we jetting off to? Yes. I need a break. I think that's really important. That's a really important distinction to make because a lot of people think, you know, like if you have people in your life that, don't necessarily check certain boxes or have certain parts of them that you don't really fuck with or there is some value in just saying okay I've noted all of these things about them I know I can't trust them with this information or I know that I don't want to invite them to this thing or whatever but they might still have a valuable place in your life like it doesn't mean you just need to be zero or a hundred black and white like it, it can be like yeah you know like they're my acquaintance but they're not in my inner inner circle. Yeah. And also people who you feel like you're always doing so much more for them yes. than they, they are for you. And not that anyone owes you anything. You do things because you want to, but you never want to feel like you're getting taken advantage of because then Definitely. sometimes it crosses that line where it's like, why am I always paying for this? Why am I always the one doing that? Why am I the person that has to do that? And you've never even like extended a, oh, you know what, girl, let me take you out to dinner. You do so much for me. Or even if you can't afford to do that, like, let me do something nice for you to show you that I appreciate you. 100%. And so I don't mind doing certain things. I just ask that people be like in good spirits around me mm -hmm. and, and just respect that. Yeah. 
So we've had, you know, a very challenging past two years. And have you been doing most of your stuff on Zoom now? Like, how has COVID affected your career? So it started off when the pandemic first started. I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. First thing we all did was get the Zoom app. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Remember that? Downloading it for the first time. Right. I was like, how do I use this thing? And then, you know, you get a mic, then next thing you know, you're trying to make sure everything is working right. And so at first, um, everything was canceled. And so I didn't know how long it was going to happen, too, because we were like, just in the beginning, in my head, in March, I was like, this should be over by like September. Right. You know, that's that's what I thought. I had a vacation plan and everything. I know. It's so sad. I had a vacation plan in July and I thought it was going to still happen. And that week, everything just started shutting down like other places. You know, we were supposed to go to Jamaica. Then Jamaica was like, we have to get tested. And I was like, look, I don't know if I have it. And it was hard to get tested. So you wouldn't even know until you got there because nobody was just like giving you a test, like how it's accessible now. And so I started doing a lot of things on Zoom, nothing at all in person for so long. And um, the most fun I had, honestly, was um, when Dave Chappelle was doing those comedy shows in in Yellow Springs, and it was like a big deal. Everybody had to get tested, you know, to go out there, and then you had to be in a bubble. And so um, that was honestly the most fun that I have had. And we went in July, and it was like the first event that I had been to the whole pandemic since March, where I could see other people, right? And you know, not have to have a mask on the whole time because everybody was tested. And so it actually made me be better friends with some people and to prioritize things in my life. And I also started some businesses during that time. I know you have, we're going to talk about those in a minute, but you are quite the entrepreneur. I mean, obviously, but you have birthed so many little businesses in, in this time. During the pandemic, it gave me a lot of time to do things I just never would have done. I bought a new house. (laughs) Wow. I know. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, what kind of turmoil did it bring up? Like, were you the kind of person who was go, 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 and then this stopped? Or like, was this the first time that you kind of looked inward? What kind of emotional reaction did you have? I was pretty good about going outside and still walking around. I was nervous about finances. You know, right. because I, I think but I think that I also have myself in a decent position. Like I had already paid off my house that I live in now. Mm-hmm. And so I had that. And then fortunately, I didn't know what would happen at work, but they gave us equipment to work from home. So I was really lucky that we were able to keep on working. We had to take like a couple of weeks of no pay, but that's minor compared to what other people went through. So that was no big deal. Um So once I knew that at least I had this job, I mean, our endorsements obviously kind of dried up during that time. And then I started doing some things online and then making that adjustment. And then like, okay, people really wanted some self-care things during that time. So I was able to connect with a lot of different brands. You know, people were still drinking. So I did a lot of things with like Ciroc and Deleon. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of things like that, that came up because I definitely will adjust, but I got to watch a lot more TV. I never really watched TV. And so I got to catch up on so much, like, you know, I got to watch Tiger King and then I got to (laughs) 
I got to watch like The Affair and I watched all those. It's just, I never get to sit here and binge watch, you know? Yeah. And Little Fires everywhere. I got to see that. It just was, that part was really nice for me because I haven't, I've been doing radio now for 17 years. Yeah. And this is something that's never happened. Like I've never had the time to be at home, watch television, go for walks in my neighborhood. And walking around is what inspired me to buy a new house. Walking around is what inspired me to open a coffee shop. Walking around is what inspired me to, you know, do the press juices. And so it did help me a lot. I mean, that that's true. Like you get ideas from walking around and inspiration. And just like that moment of pausing and being with yourself, especially as someone that is on the radio, like you're kind of always talking. So it's like you don't get a lot of time of just listening and getting time by yourself. So what are the kinds of things today that still knock your confidence? Today, I would say one of the hardest things is dealing with social media and knowing that anytime you mess up, they're on it, you know, (laughs) and every single morning I have so much work to like every day I have so much work to do between interviews, between, you know, coming up with content for the show and doing my own rumor report, front page news, all of those things. So everything is not always right. And so you know, sometimes there is something that's incorrect and people will let you know, yep. you know, there's the more people that like you, the more people that don't like you. So proportionately, there's nothing you could do about that. And it's easy to say to have tough skin, but it's not always easy to have tough skin. No. So you know what you should do, but sometimes things do bother you. You know, people would be like, and there's times when like, I'm bigger than I am at others. If I gain five pounds, it shows immediately. And so people would be like, are you pregnant? Why are you so fat? You know? And so it's things like that. I know. (laughs) And how do you cope with that? I eat some cake. No, I'm kidding. I don't um, Truly, right? (laughs) That's what we do. (laughs) Truly. I mean, I just, honestly, I'm really good at like being annoyed and mad for like two minutes and then moving on. Yeah. You know, I will say that because I'll tell you what, when you're super busy, you don't really have that time to be upset. I noticed that the times in my life that I was like the most negative and the most focused on like spying on my boyfriend or, Mm. you know, it's when I didn't have nothing to do. And when you're booked and busy, stuff like that can't bother you because you have too much other, like too many other things going on. Like I could be mad about something, but I'm like, okay, now I got to make sure that I book this and I got to do that. I got to send this email out. I got to open this account. I have to do this. And you don't even have time. And so, you know, people might feel like Angela, because people tell me that I'm like very cold at times, but it's also because I'm just trying to get stuff done. Yeah. You're busy. I'm not the type of person that's going to be like, Hey, we need to talk. It's just not me because I dread that when people yes. tell me that. Oh, my it, God. It's the worst. The, the most like, dreaded text message to receive ever. I'm like, am I a guy? Yeah. But it's just hard <laughs> for me to do that. And then, you know, and I have had to cut out certain people and things in my life that were just kind of like a burden to me. And so um, sometimes it's hard to feel selfish like that, too, because then you're like, am I being really selfish? Is this, you know, mean, but then you have to say, you know what, especially when you're like, I haven't done anything wrong Mm -hmm. to warrant this. And so, you know, I think at times that is hard for me because I always want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And sometimes you have to just do what feels like the right thing, whether or not it is. I love that. Okay. That's a perfect place for us to stop. Can you tell everyone where to find you and what you've got going on, what everyone can look out for? 
You can find me, of course, on Instagram at Angela Yee. I was fortunate enough to bump the person who had it originally off and get it. Good job. When Instagram first started on Twitter as Angela Yee, on Facebook as Team Yee. And then obviously I have my coffee company, Coffee Uplifts People, and the coffee shop, which opens November 1st. Yes. I have my drink fresh juice, juices. We have juices for life that's in Brooklyn. And I have my hair store in Detroit, private label extensions. So you can find me at any one of those places. So if you want to say something rude to me, I'm going to be mad for like one second and then I'm going to move on. (laughs) You're the greatest. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I do want to thank you, Jay. This is really fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I've always loved the name Jay too. Thank you. Thank you. That means so much to me. Thank you so much. I actually see why, for many reasons, why Angela is such a successful radio personality. Her voice is very soothing. And she's just fun to talk to. But her voice is made for radio. But mine is not. Evidently, I'm choking on my words. But anyway... That's all I have for you guys this week. So please come back next week. I'll see you back here, same time, same place. And in the meantime, I'm just going to beg you again to please rate, follow, and review the podcast. If you could just write a little review telling me what you're liking or not liking, I'd be forever grateful. And DM me if you do so, so I can thank you. It really would mean the world to me. I know I say it every week, so you guys just tune me out or are skipping over this part. But for those of you who stayed, I would really, really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Okay, bye.